0: Imagine with me for a moment that we could all walk out those front doors, turn right, walk down to East Capitol Street, take a right, walk down six blocks till we are standing right in front of the Capitol building. And imagine then the winds of time blew in just the right way that we could hear the words spoken in that exact spot 154 years ago, on March the 5th, 1865, as Abraham Lincoln gave his second inaugural address, unknown to him merely four weeks before the war would end and five before his own life would be taken by an assassin's bullet. Fellow countrymen, at the second appearing to take the oath of the presidential office, there is less occasion for an extended address than there was at the first. Then, a statement somewhat in detail of a course to be pursued seemed fitting and proper. Now, at the expiration of four years, during which public declarations have been constantly called forth on every point and phase of the great contest, which still absorbs the attention and engrosses the energies of the nation, little that is new could be presented. The progress of our arms, upon which all else chiefly depends, is as well known to the public as to myself, and it is, I trust, reasonably satisfactory and encouraging to all, with high hope for the future. No prediction in regard to it is ventured. On the occasion corresponding to this four years ago, all thoughts were anxiously directed as... an impending civil war. All dreaded it, all sought to avert it. While the inaugural address was being delivered from this place, devoted altogether to saving the Union without war, urgent agents were in the city seeking to destroy it without war, seeking to dissolve the Union and divide effects by negotiation. Both parties deprecated war. But one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came. One-eighth of the whole population were colored slaves, not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the southern part of it. These slaves constituted a peculiar and powerful interest all knew that this interest was somehow the cause of the war. To strengthen, perpetuate, and extend this interest was the object for which the insurgents would rend the Union even by war, while the government claimed no right to do more than to restrict the territorial enlargement of it. Neither party expected for the war the magnitude or the duration which it has already attained. Neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease With or even before the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for an easier triumph and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces, but let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has His own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses, which in the providence of God must needs come, but which having continued through His appointed time, He now wills to remove and that he gives to both north and south this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came, shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until the wealth piled by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work that we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and all nations. And that was the entire speech. That was the whole thing. Perhaps the shortest presidential inaugural address ever. You know, length usually detracts from the power of a speech. Here, Lincoln was able to marshal the crucial issues at stake simply and clearly. Like he had done just a little over a year earlier in his justly famous Gettysburg Address. But one of you at this point interrupts me and says, Mark, wait just a moment. Isn't there some irony in your praising the brevity of an address at the beginning of an hour-long sermon? Oh, I appreciate the question. But what we generally do here in our times together is not simply a speech. We take up a text in the Bible, or a topic, and with the Bible we explore it, for an hour. It's not simply a speech of my ideas, but rather our preachers lead us in exploring and feasting on the unending riches of God's Word. We could probably spend much more time doing it than we do, but there is the responsibility of children and meals and other aches and pains and the shocked visitors who've just thought, isn't this thing just an hour, really? Are we just now beginning a sermon? Nevertheless, the power of simple, direct statements or questions to clarify and help to lead us is obvious. Clear speech brings about clear thought. That's not just true in our political lives. It's true in our spiritual lives as well. Today, we come to the conclusion of our study of the first of Moses' final three speeches To the nation of Israel before they crossed the Jordan and began the conquest of the promised land. This speech that we've been studying is rehearsing what God has done with his people in the past. The longer middle speech, which takes up most of the book of Deuteronomy, which we're not going to go on into, gives the Ten Commandments and then thinks about present duties from them. And the final speech projects out into the future rewards and punishments for the Israelites, depending on whether they obey God's law or not. Our text for this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 4 beginning on page 148 and the Bibles provided. Let me encourage you to follow along as I read and to leave your Bible open because all we're doing in this time together is studying this speech. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, And do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. Pause. A few weeks earlier. We don't know exactly how long the time was. But a few weeks earlier, as the people had begun to move toward the position they're in now, they had been at Baal Peor, a place they're in right now, actually, while Moses is giving them these instructions. And there, Numbers chapter 25 has the story of how 24,000 of them were seduced into the false worship of the idol Baal. And because of it, 24,000 of them died. This is fresh in their minds. It's fresh in Moses' minds. And where he's giving this talk, if you look back at chapter 3, verse 29, the last verse of the preceding chapter, so we remained in the valley opposite Beth Peor. They were right there. They were hearing this speech in the view of a pagan temple to Baal on one side and the promised land, as it were, stretching out on the other. Back to verse 3. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's. Who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it, as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you were going over to possess. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly, By making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God. And obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past which were before you. Since the day that God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of? Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him. Out of heaven He let you hear His voice that He might discipline you. And on earth He let you see His great fire. And you heard His words out of the midst of the fire. And because He loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with His own presence by His great power driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally, without being at enmity with him in the time past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness, on the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Manassites. Well, friends, not unlike Lincoln's address, here Moses really puts the crucial issues before the Israelites clearly and directly. I think we could summarize them in three short questions. Number one, who is God? Who is God? Number two, what has God said? What has God said? And number three, what will I do? What will I do? Those are the three questions we want to ask and consider from our text this morning. And as we do, I pray that you will be able to give answers from your own life that are clear and good. Let's begin with that first question, who is God? Moses is clear here that God's people must understand who is God. The Lord is the only true and living God. His unique status, argues Moses, is proved by the Exodus and by Mount Sinai. The God of the Bible we read about here is invisible. He's omnipresent. He has sovereign power over everything. In fact, it was God who created man. He is the creator of all that is. Everything he does is excellent. Look again at verse 8. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Brothers and sisters, since this is the case, shouldn't we, like these Israelites of old, work to hold fast to him? That's a strong language that's used there in verse 4. This is no passing acquaintance. Hold fast to this God. Now already we're communicating in a way that I know if you're here today and you're not a Christian must seem strange to you. I just wonder, would you say that you know God? My non-Christian friend, how would you describe your relationship with God? To use the Bible's language, we are to fear the Lord. That is, we are to hold Him in the highest regard. He is the most important factor in our lives. Moses challenged the Israelites here, telling them to ask if any God has ever done what your God has done. The liberation from Egypt and the Exodus and the giving of His law about Sinai. God loved these people. He chose His people. He is the God of your fathers, he, re- he says here in his very first sentence in verse 1. And now he's just about to give them the long-promised land. Verse 39, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Brothers and sisters, praise God for the way he has chosen us and loved us in his great power. The God of the Bible is not a passive responder, but he is an active initiative taker. As In fact, that's the only way those of us who are people who were formerly spiritually dead could be here at all with any interest in God. Our whole spiritual existence depends on the fact that it is God who has taken the initiative with us to save us in His love and to forgive us and to give us a new birth and to sanctify us. This is all the work of God. It's not our work. This is showing us even there what this God is like. Isn't it interesting the way that Moses stresses here the importance, though, of also understanding who is not God? Look again in verses 15 and 16. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day the Lord your God spoke to you at Horeb, or out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure the likeness of male or female the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that is in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and moon and stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Or then what he says down in verse 23, Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. Again, friends, remember the background in Numbers 25. They had just seen how important it was that they not go after fake gods like the Baal of Peor. But as sure as that false worship that day proved fatal, so fake gods don't work at least not for long, and they kill any real long-lasting joy. And that's why Moses would tell the people here so emphatically, watch yourselves very carefully there in verse 15, and that's why he would be so specific in verse 16, to not make a carved image to worship, or down in verse 19, not to bow down to any heavenly bodies. You can enjoy planet Earth, but just don't start worshiping the Earth. He says here so clearly in his word, verse 23, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make a carved image the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. We don't like to think today of God being jealous. It's almost something that just doesn't compute to people today. But jealousy is a good attribute for God to have. Because he really does stand in a unique relationship with all of us made in his image, and especially with those that he's redeemed. And it's wrong for anyone else, any other being, to be put in that place. And so it's as right for him to be jealous of us as it is for me to be jealous of my wife, or my wife jealous of me. Because we have an exclusive relationship with God. And He is good. Idolatry is the primary sin that Moses addresses here in Deuteronomy 4. It's the religious guise of directly God-denying pride. Instead of using idols, they were to worship only the true and living God. Listen again to that last section of the speech where he's so clear about this. Verse 32. For ask now the days that are past which were before you since the day God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation, by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see the great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is No other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Brothers and sisters, you see how this exclusive allegiance was at the core of Israel's identity then. And that's parallel with how in our own church, the core of our existence as a people is our unique allegiance to Jesus Christ. That's why we have practices of membership and discipline. It's a natural expression, even of these truths that Moses is teaching God's people here, of being composed of those who are genuinely allied to him. That's who makes up the people of God. Friends, that's what we do. That's what every gospel-preaching local church does or should do. This is also where you find the background of an answer. I'm often asked about our church at the door on the way out. Why are there no crosses here? Why are there no pictures of Jesus? No statues? Well, my simple answer is that God has always commanded His people not to worship Him through images. And so we are careful not to distort our own or other people's understandings of God By associating him with an image of a man who looks like this or looks like that, or even the symbol like the cross. Moses begins by making sure the Israelites understand who is God. And having understood who really is God, we then need to know that second question and its answer what has God said? What has God said? We need to understand what God has said. Look again at verse 2. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. And then down to verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. It is so important for us to understand this God that we listen to him because this God speaks. What sets this God apart from the fake gods? He's really there and we see that by the fact that he really speaks. Look again at verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. Or down in verse 15. Therefore watch yourselves very carefully since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you to Horeb out of the midst of the fire. This then is why the Lord commanded Moses to teach as he did. Look there at verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Or down in verse 14. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going to possess. Friends, how kind of this God to reveal himself to us, to speak to us, to give us these these rules, his laws that reveal his character. Even calling Moses to teach them shows something of his love towards his people. This is why also Moses insists there in verse 2 that they not take from God's commands. And that's why Moses exhorts the people in verses 9 and 23 not to forget this is a God who is able to be known and who has made us in his image. That means we are able to know him and others and to be known ourselves. Understanding that God has spoken and what God has said is of the utmost importance to us. It's so much of what it means for us to know him, to know what he has said. And you see that command there in verse 9, to keep your soul Diligently in all this. Now, I have to say, ours is not an age marked by diligence in soul care. They're not like all these 24 hour soul fitness centers, you know, that are open that people are paying monthly subscriptions to where they're going to work out their soul 45 minutes a day or, you know, an hour and a half a day. It's just that's not what we're about as a culture. Uh, we tend to want soul care that's natural and brief and not to put too fine a to point on it, that's easy. That's what we're looking for. We don't like to think that we might need to work to discern what it is the true God has said and work to understand what it means and work to know how it applies to us. But there's no getting around the fact that in this world we are in an arena of spiritual conflict and that if you would follow Christ, your full rest will come only when your spiritual warfare has ended. And your spiritual warfare, my friend, ends at death. Look down at verse 32. You see how that verse begins. Ask now of the days that are past. I love that image. Moses is telling the Israelites, grab those days that are past, your memories of them, your knowledge of them, and inquire of them, interrogate them, find out the truth from them. Moses is exhorting the Israelites to remember their history, to consider it to be diligent in meditating on it, in understanding its significance, in learning lessons from it. Friends, do you treat your own life that way? Do you make any record of God's specific faithfulnesses in your life? Do you recount those? Do you try to learn from those? Do you treat your own life and the spiritual lives of other Christians you've known or read about like that? This careful pondering of the past is part of your diligent soul care for today and tomorrow. My friend, if you're not a Christian, the way you look for God is by listening. The way you look for God is by listening. He vanished when Adam sinned. He'll come back someday. But he's not gone. We hear him with the ear. You'll hear him before you'll ever see him in this world. Ever since our first parents fell in disobedience, God makes himself known by his word. Have you heard the Bible's basic message about him and you? Friend, whether or not you're a Christian, you're made in the image of God. You've been made like Him. Like Him in the sense that you can know Him. You can know other people. People can know you. Unlike Him, you have sinned against Him. You've done what you should not do. And I know that not because I know you personally so well, but just because that's what the Bible teaches is true about all of us. That we've all done this. We've sinned we've separated ourselves from God. Our first parents did that, Adam and Eve. And we've all ratified their decision in our own lives, in our own sins. And the story could stop there, and sadly for so many people, the story does kind of stop there. But here's the great news we have in Christian churches. God sent His only Son to take on human life. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, became a man. Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. He took on flesh and lived a life of complete holiness. Complete devotion to his heavenly Father, doing just what he should do. Never sinning against God. Always trusting God. And then when he died on the cross, he died specifically as a substitute. Taking God's wrath on himself for all the sins of everyone who would ever turn and trust on him. God raised him from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He accepted that sacrifice and he calls all of us now to turn from our sins and trust in Christ for forgiveness and new life. Friend, today, turn from your sins. Trust in Christ. If you don't understand what I mean when I say that, you're in a great room. Just when the service is over, just turn and ask the person next to you, do you mind being about five minutes late to lunch? Could, I just, could you just explain to me what, what Mark meant by that a little bit more? Or, or talk to any of us at the doors on the way out. We always put pastors at the doors on the way out. So if you have a question... About this, you can talk to us and we can meet up maybe even more later to help more with that. If you look in verse 14, it looks as if ever since the Lord had given his people his law almost 40 years earlier, Moses had just spent his time really teaching the people what the law was and encouraging them to live according to the law God had given them. They didn't need to come up with any additional rules beyond these things that he's teaching them, they were at liberty. But they did need to receive all that God had revealed. So faithfulness would require knowing what it was that God had really said. So my Christian friend, it's important to read the whole Bible and to become familiar with it all and to study it all. That's why we study the Old Testament like we are right now. Because when Jesus came, he didn't get rid of the first two thirds of the Bible. He affirmed it. And so we teach it here. And that's why we also teach the New Testament. That's why we have Sunday school for our children. That's why we have small group Bible studies through the week for women and for men. Uh, Even more, that's why we study the Bible together as we do here on Sunday mornings and on Sunday evenings and on Wednesday nights. Really, at the center of our fellowship together is our desire to listen to God together, to hear and understand anything that God has said in his word. So, my Christian friend, what are you doing outside of our gatherings to spend time in God's word? That's a good question for you to answer to yourself or to your friend or to your parents or to your husband or wife. What are you doing to spend time in God's Word outside of our gatherings? Part of this is understanding what God has not said. Look again at verse 2. You shall not add to the Word that I command you nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So a big problem is subtracting from God's word or ignoring parts of it. But also, I think adding to the commands might be an even bigger problem. I mean, imagine giving something divine authority that really doesn't come from God. Of course, if you're one of our more secular neighbors here today, you might think that that's really what we're doing with the whole Bible. We're giving this ancient book this authority that it really doesn't have and shouldn't have. But as those who know the Bible to be true, we want to be vigilant to discern the truth about anything claiming to be a word from God. And secular neighbor friend, if you're sitting here, I just wonder why you believe what you do. There's no one who lives without faith. It's just a question of what you have faith in. I can tell you some of the reasons that I have the faith that I do. I'm sure I can't explain it fully, but I can give you some reasons. I'm curious why you would have the faith that you have. Why you believe what you believe. I wonder if you've given careful thought to who Jesus is. We had some booklets last week about evidence for the resurrection that we ran out of. Somehow, miraculously, some of you caused ten more to appear on the pulpit this morning. Thank you, whoever gracious person did that. So, um, I'm going to have five of these, and Bobby, here we go. Bobby's going to have five of these, so we're going to have these at the door afterwards if you want one of these, particularly if you're here and you're not a Christian. Okay, Christians, just go Google it yourself and order it someplace, all right? But, <laughs> but if you're here and you're not a Christian, you know, we would love to give you one of these just to help you think about the stuff that we as Christians are persuaded by. And also, if I could just tell you, we do have copies of this book on the book, called Who is Jesus? by Greg Gilbert, which is a great little look at who Jesus is. He's worth your taking time to read this a book. Who is Jesus? Think about reading this book carefully. My Christian brothers and sisters, how are you watching out so that you will not be taken in by someone claiming to have a word from our God who really doesn't? You know, if, just go in a religion section in an airport or in a Barnes and & Noble and see all the books by Joyce Meyer and T.D. Jakes and Joel Osteen. Wow. Those are the ones that people buy. And you know what makes them so difficult for so many Christians is the Bible is quoted and true things are said. But you know, Satan quoted the Bible to Jesus. It's very common that part of forwarding error is putting in a good bit of truth with it. Because that then confuses the faithful. But friends, we need to be careful and discerning Certainly learning your Bible better will help you. So too will reading good books, having good friends, and you feeling free to approach any of the elders here with questions that you may have that we can help you with. Reread our church's brief but comprehensive statement of faith. It's been helping us for over 140 years. See what they say. One of the main reasons you want to be in discipling relationships with your brothers and sisters here at church is to help prevent confusion in your understanding of what God has said. And one last question on this point. I wonder how the Bible is faring in our families. Moses mentions here in verse 10, teaching the children God's Word. Parents, have you found a good time to read the Bible in your family? To read the Bible to your children? Have you found any other resources that help you? To help the next generation treasure the Bible? Connie has a great list of books and resources on our church website. Go there and look at that. Get some of those. I know a number of you have lately found one of these books helpful, Karen Henley's Day-by-Day Kids Bible. Read the Bible in one year, seven minutes a day. This is just for the kids. Okay? You could consider uh, grabbing a copy of this from Amazon, ordering it. Karen Henley, Day-by-Day Kids Bible. In all these various ways, we want to know who God is and understanding who God is We want to know what God has said. That brings us to one more question, number three. What will I do? What will I do? Obey God's word is the basic answer there. Look again in chapter four, verse one. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep The commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. And then down in verse 5. See, I've taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Then down in verse 13. And he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform. That is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. And in the last verse of the speech, that's how he summarizes it. Verse 40. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you. Having identified who the true God is, And what this true God has said, it then comes down to the simple matter of belief and obedience. Now, we know from what we read in this chapter that God's words, only God's words, all of God's words, are to be uniquely honored. They are uniquely righteous and therefore uniquely worthy of being obeyed. We notice that right off the bat, you can't obey what you don't know. So we have to figure out some way to read and to listen to or to be taught God's Word, or we will have no idea of what it is that we're to do. And that's what Moses tells them to do in this chapter. He tells the Israelites to listen to God's statutes, to do them. He can use other verbs here, but to mean the same thing, like keeping the commandments in verses 2 and 6 and in the summary verse, verse 40, or performing them like I read in verse 13. Verse 13. So the people's going over and taking possession of the good land was their largest and most visibly unique obedience that they were being called to just then. Many of the other commands here applied to them years after the land was conquered and still apply to God's children today, like making God's commandments known to your children. See that in verse 9? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, so grandparents, there is license for you to teach the Bible to your grandchildren, regardless of what your children say to you. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my word, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And then look down at verse 40 again. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Well friends, we go on and on about this point. Ultimately, we failed at this. We haven't kept his words as we should. The people then didn't. We don't. And so Christ came. And Christ was Wounded at the cross, and there his blood flowed, and our ransom was paid. And that's why we trust him uniquely, because he has obeyed perfectly. Our passage today talks about this awful alternative to obedience to God's word that we read about here when we don't obey God's word. Look at verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul... When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. And that's really what those last three verses in, the chapter, in our reading are about. Verse 41, Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in time past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland, for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, in Golan, and Bashan, for the Manassites. Friends, this is the God who we read here in verse 24, is a consuming fire who is jealous. His anger at sin is referred to more than once. He is no unmoved universal governor, coolly indifferent to the acts of us passing creatures, seeing us as of little significance. Now, we saw up in verses 3 and 4 about the Israelites who had committed idolatry and adultery with the followers of the Baal of Peor. That the Lord destroyed them, and yet he spared those who remained faithful to him. This is a picture of salvation by obedience, but it won't finally be our obedience. We've already blown that opportunity. It would be a substituted obedience. But there are still consequences for our sins on earth. As stern as this passage is on sin, it's not without words of hope for sinners, So in verse 7, Moses says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? Or down in verse 37, Because He loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with His own presence by His great power. How could such a good God be with those who have abused Him and His words? Well, the answer is found in verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. You see Moses' instructions right before this, verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you're in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Friend, when you've disobeyed, seek, return, obey. Again, my Christian friend, you cannot obey God's Word if you don't know it. Make a priority of reading your Bible and obeying it. It is the Word of God. And this great God is not first among equals in some heavenly pantheon. He is rather the one and the only God. Therefore, He is to be obeyed by us. No one has authority to contradict His orders. In fact, we should praise God for revealing Himself to us by means of His commandments. They lay bare His nature, and they expose our own heart's errors. And friends, we should especially work against the pride that is in our lives that shows itself in idolatry as we devote ourselves to things other than God. There is no authority that we should raise up against God's own will and word. We should obey all that the one true and living God has revealed to us of His will. So three simple and direct questions. One, who is God? Number two, what has God said? And number three, what will I do? A couple more things to note about our text before we have done. First, I want you to notice after the ifs of verse 25... Moses shifts into a little prophecy in verses 26 to 31, where he really summarizes the whole history, the rest of the history of God's people in the Old Testament. Did you notice that? 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, And you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands, that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God. And you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore them. He knew what he was going to do with his people of Israel. They were one vast display to the heavens of his character. And he knew they would repent in part because when they're in exile in Babylon, he's appearing in a vision to Ezekiel. He is going to teach them what's going on. He is going to break their hearts with his continuing love and pull them back to himself. He will make them a corporate witness to the nations, not only supremely of their repentance, but of His mercy. They are going to be a preview of the great return from exile He will effect through His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The other thing is at the end of our passage for today, there are these few verses, verses 41 to 43, on the cities of refuge. A few of you thoughtfully made fun of me for including these in this reading and emails this week. Thank you for that. Mark, such a great speech. Why would you just tack these little three things on at the end? Uh, It wasn't my idea. It was the Lord's idea. And um, I'm just trying to be faithful here with what's there. Um, You understand what these cities were? They were the cities of refuge that one would go to if one had accidentally taken a life. God in His mercy provided for that. Well, my friend, today this church is your city of refuge. This very meeting this morning. Here, though, punishment can be stayed not just for a while, which is all these cities affected, but forever. And not just for one sin, but for all sins, because of what Christ has done. Only Jesus has really performed all these commands correctly in Deuteronomy 4, and the church is the body of Christ. It is filled with His Word and filled with His Spirit, dependent by faith on His work, united by faith to Him. We are incorporated into Christ by His Spirit's work. We hear the good news and we believe it. We point you to the only real and effective refuge, Jesus Christ. These cities of refuge were just dim and partial temporary pictures of what God would provide for us in Christ. And it's all for God's glory. That's what we see here in verse 4. Look again at verse 6. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? Friends, the purpose of distinguishing Israel from the other nations was to show that none of the others had a God like this God. So near to him, the way the Lord our God is near to us when we pray to him. That's the purpose in having a church like this today. Do you personally know this one true God? Take your bulletin, turn to page 15. It's a rendering of the 23rd Psalm. There are two or three different renderings we sing in this church. This one has a particularly sweet last stanza. Look at that third stanza. The sure provisions of my God attend me all my days. Oh, may thy house be my abode, and all my work be praise. There, in God's house, there would I find a settled rest while others go and come. No more a stranger, nor a guest, but like a child at home. Trust God for what He has done in Christ for all who will come to Him. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that You would help us to sing this truthfully and to mean it. O Lord, make yourself our Lord and God for each one here today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.